What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Orico, and I am your host. You guys can hit me up over on the Twitter machine at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. All of my fantasy baseball content goes out over there from these shows, threads, articles on the weekend. Everything is available over on Twitter. So go check me out at JoeOrico99. Also, at Ethos Fantasy BB is another account to be following here on the Sports Ethos Network. We're currently in the process of bringing on more writers, podcasters, and the like. By the way, if you guys are interested, shoot me a DM. We are hiring. But that is another place where their content will be put out. At Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter. It's still a fairly small account, and right now it pretty much just shares out my stuff and a couple of other people who produce baseball content. But we are trying to grow it all up, so those Twitter follows and likes are very important over there on those accounts. We are going to be doing what we usually do here today. We'll look back on yesterday's top performers. We'll look at the waiver wire. We'll comb through who's being added, who's being dropped, what makes sense at this point of the season. And then we will look at one or two matchups that'll be taking place tonight. We are in playoff mode. If you guys have missed the last couple of days, we've talked about this. Maybe your league isn't in the playoffs yet and you've kind of not been aware of it, but there are people who are right now fighting for their playoff lives, fighting for those banners and for those checks at the end of the season. So, Everything is a little bit more important right now, I think. I mean, pitching streams just have double the level of importance here. You stream in somebody, he gets knocked around. It might just ruin your entire season. You add in a batter, he goes over 25. It might just ruin your season too. So we're going to pay a little bit extra attention here over these last couple of weeks on the podcast. And even on the Twitter feed, everywhere, we're going to be really focusing in. A lot of people start to, I don't know, wane in their content near the end of the baseball season. They start to focus on football. They go back to school. Maybe they get into hockey or whatever the hell it is. And you don't see as much of a focus uh, put on baseball by people who are commentating and podcasting about it and also by the players. You don't see as much movement on many waiver wires depending on the competitiveness of your league. So this is the time where you can take advantage. You can win your championship. So we're going to be going through a lot of different things today. I think they're going to be able to help you guys out. But we'll start off with a couple of players who are obviously not going to be available anywhere But I think they're worth talking about anyway. Justin Verlander is the number one guy there. He had six pretty much perfect innings going. I believe there was a wild pitch in there, which I think that does sully it in some way. I don't think it technically counts. I'm not 100% sure on that. I saw conflicting things going on on Twitter. But it's being classified as six no-hit frames. So I think, well, it wasn't perfect. I mean, it was pretty damn close. But technically, I don't think he had a perfect game intact. And that might have been why, partially why uh, the Astros chose to pull him after six innings, 91 pitches. I think he pretty much secured the Cy Young last night. Uh, as far as I see it, Dylan Cease was not great again. He wasn't terrible, but he really didn't do what you would have hoped for uh, against Baltimore, especially from Dylan Cease there. Uh, I'm just having a technical problem here with uh, pulling up Dylan Cease's line, but here we go. Five and a third, three hits, four earned runs, four strikeouts, and three walks. Uh, Just not impressive out of Dylan Cease, unfortunately. Against Baltimore, you'd really hope that he would have been able to dominate. It was not the case. Justin Verlander, I think, is your Cy Young Award winner for this season. I know a lot can change in the last month, and Shane McClanahan has also been excellent. He's fallen off a little bit, but we can't just forget about the whole season because of a bad few starts. However, Justin Verlander, at this point in his career, to be able to do this, off of Tommy John surgery, continue to dominate. Uh, I think he is going to be uh, your Cy Young winner for this season. Like I said, obviously, 
there is no fantasy move to be made here. It's just something that is worth pointing out. Justin Verlander, I'm interested to see what the community thinks about him going into next season. And also, you know, with Max Scherzer, because these guys are getting older, not really sure about when the cliff is coming, if there is a cliff at all. I've made the comparison with these guys and Tom Brady in the past about maybe they'll just play until they don't want to play anymore. Maybe they'll be in their mid-40s and hang it up. Who knows? I doubt it. I think there will be a point where the talent starts to drop, the velocity falls, the control starts to wane a little bit as well. There will be things that happen. I'm just not sure when exactly. And I think this season has definitely driven Verlander's price up for next season into the third or fourth round at least. You're talking a standard 12-team league. I think he'll be somewhere... Probably in that 40-ish pick range. I think that sounds about reasonable. Uh, maybe if he has a few bad starts here to end the season off, loses to Cy Young somehow, whoever, whatever, who knows? Maybe he falls back a little bit. But I think even this past season, he was being drafted right around pick 100. And then if you're looking at like NFBC main events, he was going even higher, I think in the 50s and 60s. So I could definitely see him going even in the third round next season. And I don't know that I would necessarily be on board. I could be wrong because, you know, he's defied father time for a little while now, especially with the surgery. You would never have expected him to come back this strong. It's probably going to be staying away next season just because I am a little more risk averse. I'd rather take a younger guy without the injury history. Also, you know, it's hard to say. It really is hard to say. It's like I'm doing a lot of football drafts right now, and you I'm seeing that even with Tom Brady, I haven't drafted Tom Brady in any football drafts, but it's like, is this the year he's going to be bad? It's hard. It's like, maybe, but you have nothing to really base that off of except for the history of athletes in general that they tend to fall off in their later thirties. And by the time they're in their forties, they're pretty much toast. Like that's just not something that we see in most professional sports guys playing into their forties and being successful. Albert Pujols obviously might have something to say about that recently, but I do think for next season, what I'm going to be planning on doing is avoiding those guys pretty much most of the time unless they really fall. And I'm going to be trying to just plug in those younger pitchers who will likely have taken another step forward next year. I think Hunter Green and Josiah Gray are going to be really great options next year. George Kirby, we've talked about a lot. Reed Detmers, Grayson Rodriguez should be in the majors by next season. And who knows what he'll be doing. So I'm probably going to be stacking those early draft picks with younger guys, with maybe some pitchers, a mix of pitchers and position players, obviously. But I think if, when I'm talking about pitchers specifically, there's going to be a lot of guys that are not going to be too high on your radar exactly. Like the guys I just mentioned there, they're all going to be fairly late draft picks. Maybe George Kirby will be a fairly high pick. But the rest of those guys will definitely be post-pick 100. There's going to be a lot of value floating around there. And I would definitely uh, remember that when it comes to next season and you see Verlander sitting there in the third or fourth. I would look down the draft board, see uh, what kind of value you might be able to make up down the line. I know it feels crazy talking about drafts already, but I think the earlier you start to put these thoughts in your head, the more of an advantage you give yourself uh, over the course of the offseason. When you're evaluating players, there's different drafts at different times. We saw those, those degenerates go and do that draft last week, which I absolutely adore. Do not take the word degenerate in the wrong way. I love that they're doing drafts this time of season. I'd be happy to do a draft right now. And that actually reminds me, Rob DiPietro, who is going to be on the show this week, it'll actually be next week. There was some scheduling problems. We'll be talking about that draft he organized, the first seven rounds of the draft and hold that they did last week. Uh, yeah, just some scheduling problems. So it'll be early to mid uh, next week. We'll be talking with Rob DiPietro about that one. 
But just to go back to the original point here, it just makes you think about draft season and who you want to be targeting, who you want to be avoiding, who are some late round guys to be thinking on. I know I probably sound crazy saying I'm fading Verlander, blah, 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 but like, and maybe I shouldn't even be saying it the night after the performance like this. I just want people to, you know, not lose track of his age and all the surgeries that he's had. And the fact that it could be any day really when he's kind of out of gas. So hoping that that's not for a while, hopefully he's got a couple more seasons or at least one more season under him. But I tend to be pretty damn cautious in terms of these things. Let's move on here to Pablo Lopez. Now, typically, I will go in order of the highest scoring players. I'll, it'll vary day to day. Sometimes I'll skip over a couple names if I don't think they're worth going over. There's a couple names here who had better nights than Pablo Lopez, but I don't think that they're necessarily really worth going over in so much detail. Carlos Rodon had a great night against Detroit, 10 strikeouts. That's fantastic. Max Fried had a great night against Pittsburgh, seven strikeouts, eight innings. Fantastic. Robbie Ray, great night against Washington. Six and two-thirds, seven strikeouts, one earned run. I don't think we need to get into too much detail about these strong pitchers. All of them lefties as well. Kind of interesting. Love left-handed pitching. I think everybody loves left-handed pitching. But they all did well against poor teams. I don't think we really need to dig in so much there. Now, I'm going to talk about Pablo Lopez, even though you might say, Joe, Oakland is a poor team. Yes, they are a poor team. But Pablo Lopez had been absolutely scuffling in these few starts leading up to it. Really... I mean, there was a couple of good ones mixed in here and there, but for the most part, it's been a terrible second half of the season. I was talking with a couple of people about, should we start uh, Pablo Lopez here against Oakland? And my, my default response there was, if you're not going to start him against Oakland here, you might as well drop him. Like, if, like seriously, if, the, if this matchup is not enticing enough for you that you would want to put him in your lineup, then I don't think you really need to be wasting a roster spot on him at that point. That being said, he went out there and he performed well. Six innings, four hits. He walked two batters and he struck out five and he did secure the victory. Only eight victories on the season for him, which is kind of tough. But it doesn't really matter. I don't think the, the victory is there. Play, playing for the Marlins, it's, it's a total crapshoot. We saw it last year with Trevor Rogers and Alcantara. It's just, they suck. They really suck. Their offense does anyway. I saw a tweet actually just talking about the Marlins. Uh, their OBP last season, I think, was 298. They went out, they added a couple of offensive pieces, blah, blah, blah. This season, 297. Just they, They're not the team that, if you're looking to draft pitchers for the highest win upside, the Marlins are pretty, pretty low at the bottom of the list there. In terms of Lopez, I'm not dropping him. I know some people have already dropped him. His percentage on Yahoo has gone down a little bit. There is a little bit of risk associated here with holding on to him and starting him just because his next start is against the Dodgers. That's not great, especially if you are in the playoffs. I don't know that I'm going to be saying, yeah, yeah, send him out there. You know, no, I, I don't think that I could say that with a straight face. Depending on your matchup, depending on, you know, I've, I've gone over these scenarios a few times here on the show. You need a bunch of strikeouts. ERA, you've already lost. Whip, you've already lost. You're hoping Hail Mary for a win and some strikeouts. Then you have no reason not to start him. If it's something of a reversal and your ratios are just immaculate, you got a 2.10 ERA and you got a .89 whip for the week and then you got Pablo Lopez on Sunday. Let's say you maybe need some strikeouts. You could use a victory. Then you're talking a little bit more risky business because obvious reasons, it's the Dodgers. It could go very terribly. We saw what happened with Sandy Alcantara last week. I think it was seven earned runs, six earned runs, something like that on a Sunday, head-to-head -head playoffs. That's the season for you. That is your season. You're done. 
Um, so I'm, I'd be very cautious about starting him there. Now, if you have the luxury of maybe a couple of weeks until your playoffs start, then uh, I'm okay with holding him. You start him even, and then it doesn't matter so, so much, depending obviously on the specifics of your matchup, whether it's points category, whether it's quality starts wins. There's a few different factors there. But I think in a vacuum, if your playoffs are going on right now this weekend, I'm likely sitting him unless I need to start him. If you have the luxury of not starting right away, you can put him on the lineup there, start him. Even if he gets blown up, it won't really matter. Then it doesn't really matter, right? Uh, I have a couple of leagues where there's one league I have that runs right till the end of the regular season. The last day of the playoffs is on October, I think it's October 5th, and it's the very last day. So in a league like that, where you still have a bit of a ways to go, I wouldn't necessarily be dropping Lopez. If we're already in crunch time here, I'm all right with maybe saying goodbye, especially if you're in a head-to-head format, it might be risky. I would try, If my, my ideal advice here is to try and find a way to hold him if you can. We know he's a lot better than what he's done recently. Showed some flashes of it last night, although he wasn't great. He did an all right job here. He did what he was supposed to do. I'm still, I'm still holding out hope that Pablo Lopez can return to maybe not early season form, but something within that realm there. Uh, someone who can pitch around a 3-3-5 ERA, get you some decent strikeout numbers, and maybe get you a victory or two down the stretch. I'm still holding out, hoping that we can see him uh, return to that form. Let's talk about Ross Stripling here for a few minutes. Ross Stripling, I think he might be the Blue Jays' most valuable player this season. He's obviously not the best player on the roster. He's not the best pitcher in the rotation. There's nothing that he is actually the best at. But I don't know where the Blue Jays would be if they had not had Ross Stripling's contributions here these last few months, working both as a starter and as a reliever. There's only one appearance this season where he's given up more than four earned runs. He's a 284 ERA, six victories over 95 innings, a 1.04 whip, the lowest walk rate of his career. He's just been really excellent. I have never been a huge Ross Stripling fan. We acquired him, I think it was during the pandemic-shortened season. And I think it was, if memory serves, a trade deadline kind of move for the Blue Jays. And I remember being like, this is not going to move the needle here. Sure, he was an all-star at one point. But, I mean, Ross Stripling has not been a great pitcher in his career. He's just not, he's not a great pitcher. But this season, whatever he's done, he's found a new gear somehow. And I talked about it, oh, uh, God, I don't even know how long ago. It was probably six weeks ago, five, six weeks ago maybe. I wrote an article talking about his pitch usage and just the little differences we saw year over year, but specifically from last season. He's throwing the fastball 10% less, almost 5% more sliders, 5% less curveballs, 10% more changeups. He's changed around his arsenal a little bit, and it kind of looks – similar to what we saw during the year where he was an all-star. Not to say that he is an all-star necessarily. He's not. But this season, what he's done, especially recently, has been all-star level pitching. Right now, this is the best we've seen Ross Stripling in his entire career. He's still available in a lot of leagues. He's less than 50% rostered. If you're in a 15-team league and he's still sitting on the waiver wire, he absolutely shouldn't be. And I think he even makes a, a decent case here for 12-team leagues. Not to say... He's a must-roster player. I don't want you to misconstrue, but there's a lot of teams looking for pitching help. There are a lot of pitchers that have gone down with injuries that, or even pitchers that have just struggled and have not been reliable. Ross Stripling has been reliable the entire season, and he's still available in a lot of places. I would not be letting him just sit out there. I think that he can do a lot of damage to you guys, uh, for you guys, 
down the stretch. Hopefully that's not a Freudian slip. I'm thinking that he could be a very valuable asset here uh, these last few weeks of the season. Let's talk about Aloy Jimenez, who is honestly one of the bigger headaches in all of fantasy baseball to roster. He's so talented, but he's just never on the field. And yesterday is a great example of both of those, both of those factors. One for two, he had a home run, he drove in a couple of runs, he walked a couple times. The key thing is that he was hit by a pitch, and he was hit by a pitch on his elbow. X-rays came back clean, but I'm not sure what's going to happen here with Eloy Jimenez. He's always missing time with injuries. He has 170 at-bats this season. Like When he's been on the field, he has a 306 average, 28 RBI, 7 home runs. He's done a very good job. He's just never healthy. He's not somebody that you can ever have any confidence in drafting. And, you know, honestly, the entire White Sox team at this point is going to be a lot of fades for me going into next draft season. Lou Bob, Luis Robert, I am never drafting him onto a fantasy team ever. I, I, I don't care what he does in his career, if he wins triple crowns, whatever the case may be. I'm just not interested in guys who are not always healthy. Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez always dealing with different problems here. And maybe I'm being unfair to Luis Robert because he is that talented. He really is. And this is more so for Jimenez, but really for both of them. I just don't ever really think I'm going to need to be drafting those guys unless they really fall. I always try, and this might be stupid, but you just try and draft guys with some better track records who don't have so much wear and tear and injury history. You can get really burned doing that as well. We saw it last year, Mike Trout with an injury for the first time. He missed the entire season. It happens. But I think you need to steer yourself in a direction of you know, the least risk, the, le- the least risky path. And I think for the most part, that comes from drafting guys who don't always get hurt. Jimenez, in, hit by a pitch is not something that you can really blame on him. You can't blame on, you can't blame it on him at all, really. But it's just a pattern. It's just there's always, there's always some shit with Jimenez. There's always an injury always missing time. Maybe he doesn't miss time here. He's day-to-day. I'm just I'm just not thrilled with what we've gotten from him in his entire career, really. I mean, 49 games this season. Whenever he's there, whenever he's on the field, he produces. He's just really not on the field enough for me. So uh, not to say maybe it's too harsh to say that I would never draft these guys, but they'd have to fall like quite a ways for me to really be interested in them there. I do want to talk for one second about the matchup of the night that I had for yesterday. It was the Brewers and it was the Dodgers. And we definitely saw uh, two different uh, two different lines from our starting pitchers there. We'll start with Tony Gonsolin, who was the winning pitcher. 16-1 and one now on the season for Tony Gonsolin. Five innings, three hits, one earned run, three strikeouts, and two walks. A very modest five innings of work, 77 pitches. They probably could have sent him out there a little longer, perhaps but I don't think they wanted to push their luck. They were already winning the game uh, fairly handily there. They were up 7-1 to one by that point, so I don't think they wanted to push him, save him for the playoffs, no problem. He did his job. 16 wins, one loss, remarkable. Even when we are in an era where we do recognize that the win does not mean so much, it's still incredible to see that kind of record. On the other side, my guy, my golden boy, Corbin Burns, who I've put bets on for, for Cy Young throughout the season, who I have on a lot of teams and who I'm just a huge fan of. He got rocked last night. Three and two-thirds, six hits, seven runs, all of them earned. He only struck out three and walked two batters. Season numbers are still great, 284 ERA, uh, .97 whip, 
but he might have put the final nail in his coffin last night facing up against Tony Gonsolin. I did say something similar to this. I've said it before their start yesterday, and I believe I said it before Verlander and Dylan Cease faced off against each other last week, that when you have two guys who are contending for an award go head-to-head close to the end of the season, the one who comes out on top, even if it's just for one game, uh, that could be the story for voters. We are a very optic-driven world and also a very uh, knee-jerk kind of reaction world. That's a phrase I've used a lot. We definitely react here without thinking a lot of the time. We'll see something happen. And, you know, even I'm kind of doing it with the Verlander perfect game, Cy Young thing. And he wasn't perfect, but he was pretty close anyway. Pretty much declaring him the Cy Young winner today. And maybe I'm wrong about that. But I feel like these kind of matchups down the stretch – especially on a night where Dylan Cease was pitching, didn't do well, Verlander does well. That kind of thing will stick in the mind of different voters. And personally, I think Corbin Burns did a lot of damage to himself, to his case for a repeat Cy Young last night, where Tony Gonsolin, I don't think he did so many favors. He was just fine. You know, five innings, one run, three strikeouts. It's fine. But the damage that Burns did is probably going to, I don't know. It, I Hard to say really here in the National League, but I think Gonsolin, uh, Alcantara, and Burns, a distant third at this point, is probably where it's going to lie. I do want to move on here and talk about the waiver wire. We'll talk about the most added and dropped players today across fantasy baseball. Number one, Matt Manning. His start is going to be before you guys hear this or right when you guys are hearing this at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Not such a big fan of a stream here today. Low strikeout guy going up against San Francisco. Not not a huge fan of Matt Manning here. Playoff season, you, you need to have your best arms out there. Matt Manning really does not cut it for me there. George Kirby, however, does cut it for me. He's 56% rostered right now. It should be a lot higher than that. He's facing the Nationals today at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Do yourself a favor and go add George Kirby. Great matchup, great pitcher. All signs point to a go here for me. Albert Pujols, he's also being added. He's up to 39% rostered now. 39 Albert Pujols. Unbelievable. The entire season, he's been available in every single league. He continues to be added, and he continues to be a strong add. Uh, yesterday, one for four with a double. I like him. I love him, really, but I think that he uh, should be a fantasy add here down the stretch. Pete Fairbanks, very hard to say what to do with the Tampa situation. He's being added still. People do have their faith in him, it seems, over the other guys in that bullpen. Like I said a couple times now, well, I've said this for years, really, but specifically recently, Stay away from the Rays' bullpen if you can avoid it. If you really are desperate for saves, maybe you pick up a Fairbanks or a Jason Adam. But if you can avoid it, if you have any other options on the waiver wire, I'd be looking at them first because these guys, uh, who, who knows on a given night if they're going to get a save chance or not. Jesus Lazardo, he's also a popular ad today. He was only 53% rostered last week. He's gone up to 60 now, and he's facing Oakland. So, yes, uh, if Jesus Lazardo is still available, I would go ahead and add him. I do feel bad for the way his season has gone. Started off really well. He had that game, I believe, if memory serves, <clears throat> it was in April, and it was his first start of the season, and it was five innings and 12 strikeouts against the Cardinals. I believe that's what it was, and that kind of made us think, oh, man, Jesus Lozardo breaking out, blah, blah, blah. He's missed a lot of the season. When he's been there, he's been okay, nothing crazy, but this is a great matchup against Oakland, and he makes for a pretty strong streamer where it's still available, and even potentially beyond a streamer. If you add him, he does well. You might just want to hold on. Uh, see how he does in his next start as well, or at least take a look at matchups and, and everything else before you decide to drop him. I think that he can be uh, more valuable than just a streamer. 
want to talk about Brandon Hughes here for just a couple of minutes because it's another situation where it's not as bad as the Rays, but they're definitely going to be moving around a little bit here. Now, Hughes' previous outing was not great. He gave up a couple earned runs, and he just did not look good. He got the save opportunity here the next time there was a save opportunity instead of Rowan Wick. Maybe they're going to do some kind of committee there. Maybe they're going to just try out Hughes here for a while because the season really doesn't matter to them anymore. I'm not really sure what they're going to do. Rowan Wick has been the guy that I have been adding, and if I have added already, I'm probably going to just hold off and, and keep him. Uh, Hughes, if you're going to switch him up for Hughes, you might just have to switch them back in a couple days and just be burning through your ads. and uh, Nightmare. Nightmare fuel right there. So I'm not really sure exactly what their intentions are. If you want to speculatively add Hughes, uh, I'm not going to give you such a hard time for it. I don't know that it's really going to be worth it, though. Is he going to be given the reins here? Hard to say. It's really hard to say uh, with, with the Cubs. I'd expect that Wick still does get some opportunities down the stretch. So it's probably a situation where if you can avoid it, that might be the best play is to just try and stay away altogether. Let's talk about Cole Irvin. He's been one of my favorite pitchers this season, both to roster and to talk about just because what he's done has been really remarkable. He's coming off two bad outings in a row after giving you like seven consecutive really strong ones against all kinds of trouble. Toronto, Houston, uh, Houston multiple times. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has been really good. And then these last couple starts, six innings against Houston, one strikeout, six innings against Seattle, two strikeouts. Neither outing was very strong for him. So people moved on, as, as people do in this world, in the fantasy world. A couple of bad starts, and they dropped him. For the season, he's still got a 3-3-3 ERA, a 1.06 whip. All good, and he's got a good matchup here today against Miami. I think this one should be a pretty interesting matchup here. Jesus Lozardo and Cole Urban, both of them do have some streamer value. And I think that if I could, I would be adding up both of them, even though that's usually not something I recommend. I think that we are playing in a big ballpark here in Oakland. Neither offense is very strong, and both pitchers are pretty solid here. So I'm, I'm all right here uh, with adding both of them. If you, if you can, if you need to, maybe you don't need to, but uh, I think that they're both pretty viable options anyway. Let's talk Brady Singer, who is still somehow only 69% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. Some people might say at 69%, he's pretty much rostered everywhere. It's not worth talking about, but I disagree. I think 69%, there is still going to be probably – 10, 15-ish percent of leagues in that range that you can still add him in. There might be 10-ish percent that are inactive, but even if you're in one of those more inactive leagues, I don't think that necessarily means every single person stopped playing. You can still be playing. There might still be money on the line in those leagues, and Brady Singer might still be available. So just comb through your wire. Make sure he's not there. He's been ridiculous over the last month plus. He's got a pretty good matchup tonight at Arizona as well. So he's a decent add here for me uh, looking at tonight. When we look at the drops, Ranger Suarez, man, see, I just, every time that this happens, it really drives me crazy. He allowed three earned runs over five and two-thirds. He was not terrible. He was not great. Now he is the most dropped player in fantasy today. Why? I don't get it. We are really, we really need to work on our patience here as a fantasy community. He's not somebody that needs to be dropped anywhere. Ranger Suarez, maybe in a 10-teamer. Maybe in a 10-teamer you want to drop and find somebody else, but even then, I'd say look at what he's done over this last month. He's been putting up stellar start after stellar start. And, you know, he faced the same team twice, and he gave up three earned runs. It happens. The previous start against them, it was seven shutout innings, eight strikeouts. This is not something that I'm worried about at all here with Ranger Suarez. Austin Voth, he's also a guy who's been dropped today. Uh, it was two runs over five and two-thirds for him as well. Now, I don't buy the track record with him as much, even though he has been pretty good recently. 
I think he was more of a streaming option here. I'd be much more willing to drop him as opposed to a Suarez. I don't think that makes too much sense. Now we'll talk about Jose Suarez, a different Suarez here for the Los Angeles Angels. Three runs over five and a third for him yesterday. He was also more of a streaming guy. Not a massive strikeout player, and the ratios are just okay. So I'm all right to drop Jose Suarez here. He was likely added in as a streamer. Now we play the sad music as we talk about Vinny Pasquantino. He hit the IL yesterday. Really hurt. I, I added him up pretty much everywhere. I had shares of Vinny P in almost every single league that I'm in because I was just ahead of him. I'm obviously a little bit biased towards Italians, so you see an Italian guy coming up making some noise. I'm going to go and add him. I am Italian, so that is why. Simple enough, right? But now I think that it might make some sense to drop him uh, depending on your size, depending on your format. He's hitting the IL for 10 days. He's got shoulder discomfort, and that's never good for a hitter, especially a power hitter. You know, uh, He might come back and be hampered by it, hit a couple of home runs maybe. Who knows? Who knows if he's going to play every day? I think if you don't have an IL slot, he's going to have to be dropped. If you have those free IL spots I was talking about, I've talked about them a lot, really, but specifically I think yesterday or the day before we were talking about, if you have free IL slots, then don't just drop anybody, even if it's a career-ending injury. I, I, I put him on the IL slot just until you need the space. I did it with Adalberto Mondesi for a good couple weeks. I think it's because I was in denial, and I didn't really need the space. I threw him on the IL. I picked up somebody else. When I needed the spot, eventually I dropped him, but... Part of that denial, I think, that we feel um, can definitely come back to hurt us. Obviously, this is a very different situation than Mondesi when we're talking about Vinny P. 10-day injured list is obviously very different than, I forget if it was the ACL or the Achilles or whatever it was with Mondesi. Brutal shit. With Vinny, Vinny is probably only going to be out for a week or two, but when he comes back, it's like, what are we going to be getting here? Is it going to be any power? Is he still going to be able to hit at all? That is the question. Another question is, will the Royals even really push him back at this point of the season, knowing that they're not playing for anything? I don't think it's too likely. I don't think if he's not 100%, he's not going to play. That's what I would think. If I am a Vinny P manager, I'm trying to put him on the IL, but if you don't have the space, then by all means, drop him. Nick Lodolo is another guy being dropped today. This one, I think, is a really stupid drop. I don't understand it at all. He allowed four runs over five and a third yesterday but he had a no-hitter going into the sixth inning. He was fantastic through the first five innings of play. He had five strikeouts. And if you look at what he's done recently, he's been very solid. People dropping him today, I think, were pretty short-sighted and didn't realize that he is facing the Nationals this Sunday. A fantastic matchup where he should be able to get you some high strikeout numbers and hopefully a victory there. He's only 27% rostered across Yahoo leagues. I added him for a couple of two-steps. I'm very happy that I did. Even though it did not work out so well yesterday, I'm thinking that we can make up for that in the next start here against the Nationals. We'll do a quick check-in on Walker Bueller's roster percentage at 55% still. Folks, let's get on it. 55% for Walker Bueller. He's not pitching another inning this season. He is done. He had Tommy John surgery yesterday. Now, I did say yesterday you needed to drop him, and if there was any kind of you know miraculous news he's back, he's pitching this weekend, then I would issue a formal apology. That is not going to be happening because Walker Bueller is probably not going to be pitching again until 2024, as awful as that sounds. Two Tommy John surgeries. Uh, how old is he? He's 28 years old. That's a horrible one just for baseball in general. Walker Bueller, one of the more talented arms across the game. 
obviously the Dodgers are going to have to do something now in the offseason, and we're going to see them probably make uh, a serious run at an elite pitcher. Who knows who it is, but the Dodgers will throw money at literally everything. So I'd expect them to find some kind of high-level replacement. Maybe, you know, I was talking about it earlier, maybe the pieces just fit. Maybe it's Carlos Rodon. Maybe he opts out and he goes across the state to uh, to Los Angeles there. I'm not sure, but I think that fit might make some sense here uh, going forward. Anybody else that's being dropped that's of that much importance? Not really. Michael Kopech is another guy who's seen his roster percentage fall. I'm all for a drop here. He's on the 15-day IL due to a knee sprain. He has not been great recently, even when he's been out there. So he is someone that I'm fine to drop. A couple of interesting names here. Just quickly, we'll skim over. Taylor Ward continues to be dropped. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, surprisingly, a little bit continues to be dropped. <clears throat> but we said this yesterday. It's probably more uh, daily change people dropping him. The weekly changes folks have him locked into the lineup, I think. Alexis Diaz blew a save yesterday, obviously, because we've been talking about him as a good ad recently. He's going to blow a save. That's just how it works. I'm not ready to move on yet. He's still the best arm they have in that bullpen. If you picked up Diaz, do not be dropping him yet. There's no point. He can give you great strikeouts, great ratios, and some wins and saves down the stretch here. So if you have him, no move. Be patient. Let's move into the final segment of our show here, something we do every day. We go through a couple of the top matchups across Major League Baseball. There's really only one that is that striking to me today. Um, and that would be the Diamondbacks and the Royals. We have Zach Gallen and Brady Singer at 8-10 Eastern time. That's a phenomenal pitching matchup right there. Outside of that, really not so much. We do have Shane McClanahan going up against uh, Mike Myers for the Angels. That's pretty much it. I mean, maybe you want to say Cal Quantrill and Blake Snell. It's not bad. Uh, we talked about Jesus Lazardo and Cole Irvin. That's also not a bad matchup there. But for my money, uh, I'm going to want to be watching here Zach Allen and Brady Singer. They've both been absolutely rolling recently. Zach Allen is coming off a start where he threw seven innings, struck out 12 batters in San Francisco. Brady Singer has just been a beast now for a good while. I think that first start where that really came out was uh, that Tampa Bay outing where he struck out 12 batters um, middle of July. That was where we really took notice of him. But even going back before then, there had been a lot of good outings, seven, eight strikeouts, low-earned runs. For the season, Brady Singer's got a 3-2-7 ERA, 114 Ks and 110 innings. This, for me, is the best matchup we got going on tonight. should be a lot of fun. Guys, that will do it for me for today. We'll hit you back again tomorrow. Uh, I was supposed to be on the Triple Play podcast yesterday with Britton Allen. There was some technical stuff going on with StreamYard. We're going to be doing that today. It is not, in fact, live. I thought it was live. But it will be posted on YouTube, uh, I believe, later in the day, today or tomorrow. We'll share out that link when it goes out. But go ahead, uh, check us out over on Twitter. Well, check me out, first of all, at JoeOrico99. Go check out at EthosFantasyBB for all of our other baseball content. And, of course, uh, download, subscribe, rate, review the show. All of that stuff really helps us to grow here. We're starting to lose a couple of you as we enter into the later part of the baseball season. That is bound to happen. Uh, but you guys can really help out by smashing that five-star button, making sure that people still see the show here uh, as we head into the offseason. But we'll still be here every single day in the offseason, every single weekday. There will still be a pod. We'll still be bringing guests on. It'll be the same thing, except we'll be looking back at the season instead of trying to evaluate in the moment. We'll be going through teams, and then we'll be eventually looking ahead to next season and what to expect for teams uh, next year. So, guys, that'll do it for me. We'll see you again tomorrow. Best of luck in your playoffs, and even if you're just in the regular season, uh, best of luck to you as well. Cheers, guys.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.